Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Be Your Only Muse podcast. It's Katie again. Still no podcast intro. Um, if you've listened to older episodes, you can see that I've definitely I, I started with an intro. Oh my god, it spent me it took it like it took me like weeks to record it, edit it, and you know finalize it and upload it. Not because that's how long it takes. I think in reality, it took me forty five minutes to do all in all. And I'm sure that there's an easier way to do it, but I just wanted to kind of really learn how to do it. Um, it's more the mental game that it took for me to record. And then I had it up and then I changed it. And I just, I'm very, I can be very indecisive and, um, you know, I get in my head about things. So I think, okay, pause before freaking out and shutting down and not recording more podcasts because, you, you know, you don't know what to do. You don't like your intro. That's not a good excuse to not do something you love to do. Um, pause. Who says you need an intro at all? Take a break until you find one in alignment. So still no intro. Um, but in this podcast, I talk about my journey to and through self-actualization, how I learned to stop comparing myself to others and finally ride that creative wave that was always you know, riding through me. I talk about entrepreneurship and um, the lessons learned and embodied through my coaching business as well as my marketing business. Um, I have a marketing business called Namaste Creative where I work with spiritual entrepreneurs and that is a wild, exciting ride in and of itself. Um, I've also done coaching and psychic reading and I really should tell the story someday about how I got into psychic reading. because it's legit and it's fun and it's amazing. And I never really, I guess I kind of had an idea. Like if you told, you know, 15 year old me, if you went back 10 years ago or, you know, however many years ago, I'm almost 29 now, but um, if you went back then and said like, Hey Katie, when you're 28 years old, you're going to do psychic readings. I would be like, Oh, okay. (laughs) I mean, that makes sense. Cool. (laughs) Maybe I should stop doubting the visions I'm having and the things I'm seeing and the journey I'm on. Um, so yeah, all that being said, still no intro just because if something is, you know, like it says in the Bible, if the right hand is causing you pain, cut it off. Um, kind of basically what I mean is if something's holding you back in that kind of way, like just keep moving, come back to it. It's going to be okay. Like when you're taking a test, if there's a question that trips you up, keep going, like keep that energy moving. Um, another thing that we talk about on this podcast is, um, the spiritual principle of the muse. Um, that's like kind of, I talk about a lot of spiritual concepts on this app, on this app. Oh my God. On this podcast. Uh, I talk about a lot of spiritual concepts and that's leading up to this huge breakthrough that I had that we all have a muse within us. Um, like the muse is this divine channel of inspiration that is encouraging us to give. So I believe that everything is a give and take all the time, simultaneously, um, energetically. So if you ever, um, you know, if someone says, I want to make more money, I want more friends, I want more, more, more. If they're saying, you know, I want more land, I want more space, I want more opportunity. Um, you know, you can give them an advice on like, okay, go ask for a raise or go move somewhere with more space. You can give them that like carnal 3D man-made advice. But I like to go deeper because I think that's what brings the most sustainable, mind-blowing results. Um, so when I go deeper, I want to, you know, question how is your receiving and giving muscle? How do you, comfortable do you feel with receiving? Do you get awkward when, you know, you have more money than you know what to do with? Do you self-sabotage when a good opportunity comes your way? When you go on a date with a nice person who seems like they're treating you well, do you like freak out and you don't know where to put 
that. You know what I mean? Like that, that energy, that love, that affection. Do you know where to put it? If you receive a bonus, a raise, if you receive Christmas money, do you know what to do with it? Or do you blow it all on something that you're like, why did I do that? So the muse is this divine channel that it's like a muscle that you can strengthen just like anything. There's energetic spiritual muscles that you can't really see in the 3d, but trust me, it's there. (laughs) Um, me and all my clients can attest to that. And so many other people that I witnessed in this world, but I kind of cracked open this idea of the muse. I don't know if other people have, uh, you know, it's not trademarked, but I didn't get this from somebody else. This is something that I came up with as a culmination of all the other things that I've learned in my life. Um, but, um, the muse is, like a a spiritual channel that you can strengthen that your ideas come through and it helps you carry those ideas out. So if you're ever in a place where you're like, oh, I want to create something. I don't know what, but something I, I want to, or everyone else is doing, you know, like I hear a lot of people being like, everyone else is starting a business. I don't know what to do. I want to start a business. And you're just kind of stuck in this, like, I should, I should, I should. And tapping into the, the muse, the specific quadrant of spirituality um, that that is creativity. That's the sacral chakra for those of you who are familiar. That's everything having to do with creativity, with, um, you know, intimacy and your sexual relationships. Those are all intertwined. So I would also say that your relationship with intimacy in your life, like how intimate are you with others? Not necessarily like romantic, sexual, but is how comfortable you are with creativity. So those are all intermingled. And I talk a lot about Um, you know, your body and fitness on my platforms and on this podcast, because I do believe that those are intermingled. Your relationship with your body is your relationship to creativity. And like the muse wants us to be, um, you know, living in pleasure and living in joy and really wants us to step out of this violence that diet programming and fitness programming um, are giving us. By the way, if you can hear August in the background... I have a baby. Sorry. That's the way that it is. Anyway, and of course, when he starts crying, of course, I'm going to pause and, you know, help him. Anyway, all better now. Um, So as I was saying, it is my belief, understanding, experience, and absolute embodied truth that the more that we work with the muse, the creative channel within us that wants us to give back to the world. I think everyone listening to this podcast wants to make an impact, but it's so hard to make an impact or want to make an impact when we're so shrouded in our own problems and we're so shrouded in our own, um, you know, like life isn't treating us fairly. Our bosses aren't paying us enough. Um, you know, clients aren't buying our services. We're fighting with our spouse. Our parents don't understand us. We have strained relationships with our friends and we are kind of in that first like Maslow hierarchy of needs. Like our base needs are just not being met or they're very strained or they're very conditional. Um, Or maybe your base needs are being met. Like you have a roof over your head, you have a smartphone, you have food, you sleep at night. But uh, beyond that, like it's just getting really hard to thrive and you want to give back because it really, I mean, I can speak from experience. I spent years and years of my life just really stressed out all the time. Even if I didn't think I was, I was. Like my body was stressed out. Um, I struggled with all types of stress symptoms in my body and in my skin. 
And I was constantly in fight or flight and I never felt safe. No matter where I was or where I was living, I never felt safe. And now I can say that I've questioned myself a lot on where is safety? What does safety mean? And of course, there's things like having locks on your door or what have you. But I've really cultivated this sense of security and safety in my own body um, and the sense of trust within myself that like it's it's confidence. It's like the sense of confidence that if something were to come up, I can handle it. Um, you know, the outside world does not affect my inner world. And that sounds really woo-woo, hippy-dippy. Um, you know, I, I, I can imagine like myself a few years ago listening to me saying this now and being like, oh my God, so easy for you to say and kumbaya and everything like that. But really it is a skill that not many people have the headspace, the energy, the courage, the time to pursue. How can I feel safer in my body, in my experience so that I can begin to thrive, so that I can make an impact. Because I know that you want to help other people. I know that you have that desire to, whatever it is, start your own foundation, start your own business that serves people things that they actually need. Um, I'm sure that, you know, if you're anything like me, you've been like, I want to help people with things that they actually need. I feel very frustrated working in places or spending my time on things that don't really go anywhere, that don't have any momentum, that don't help people. That's really, really frustrating to me. And I'm sure that you're very, very similar. Um, Oh, dog bark. Moving on. Okay, so if you're anything like me, that's just super, super frustrating. But how can we get to this place where we are rainbows and butterflies and holding hands and kumbaya? The reality is, is that it is tending to our relationship wounds. It's tending to our sexual trauma wounds. It's tending to our money wounds and our demonization and our mistrust of things that have not shown up for us when we felt like we needed it. So for example, a lot of people have a hard time trusting in um, a higher power, God, the universe, whatever you want to call it, because they feel like, well, why would a God exist if this thing happened to me? Or why should I want money if money just never was there for me growing up? Why should I want money when my relationship with it is already strained? Why should I get to know my body better if my body was the the, the target of ridicule growing up? I mean, I know that that was the situation with me. Um, my body, <laughs> my chubby little body, when I was a kid, I was always a chubby kid growing up. Um, was the subject of bullying. And so I'm like, why should I love my body if it was the reason that I had such a hard time growing up? And it manifests as social anxiety. It manifests as hatred of exercise. I mean, I know that I was the fat kid in PE <laughs> uh, growing up. And that's really hard to get through and to get to now where um, I've been in a, a fitness instructor for a few years. Ever since the pandemic hit, I... I'm not like out and about teaching anymore and then I got pregnant and then here we are. Um, But for me, I had to go through a massive identity shift. I had to look at myself in the mirror and say, you can do this. And I tell the story lots of times of how I started working out without a shirt on because it just felt better. Like, I mean, tell me it doesn't feel better to not wear a shirt versus wearing a shirt. Insecurities and people looking at you aside. Um, Also, I would argue that if you feel like you can actually see your body in the mirror or feel it. Like, um, you know, I just feel like the looser my clothing are or whatever, like the more that you can feel your body, the more you can engage your muscles and the better results you see. Like that is just my my firm belief. I started seeing way better results in my fitness 
when I didn't try to cover up my whole body all the time. Like I actually kind of had that transmission, that head to body, mind to muscle transmission. Um, So all of that being said, that is a great segue into today's podcast episode where I talk about um, how to deal with people from your hometown watching you try to step out. Um, So this is a big one. Um, Big lesson learned. I... This is a huge, huge thing. Going back to what I was saying about feeling safe in your body. This was something that I had to overcome. I didn't feel safe in my own body when I felt like I was being watched by people from my hometown or I was worried that I was going to be gossiped about. That's something that's happened to me many times. My own best friends have spread rumors about me when I was younger. Um, My own uh, family members have said things that have hurt my feelings. My um, like former like ex-boyfriends have said things. That hurt my feelings whenever I tried to step out of what was normal for me, like what was comfortable for me. And, you know, I wanted to start my own business. I wanted to start putting myself out there. I wanted more opportunity. And if you want more opportunity than what's around you and like your hometown, the four walls, you really do need to be the one who goes first and steps out. And that for a lot of people these days is like making a social media account. So if you're just someone from a hometown or whatever, like, you know, your hometown, you're there you don't feel like there's much opportunity for you there. Creating a social media, which is like what most people do, is a great way to meet new people. But then what happens if people from your hometown see that social media and judge you, or maybe you start saying, I'm going to dress differently and I'm going to be so in my own, I'm going to be so in my own deliciousness (laughs) and my, my own essence that I'm going to dress the way that I want to. And I've heard lots of stories this is not personally my story, but this is just to kind of mention the different types of experiences there are out there, the people who are questioning their gender identity or their sexuality, and they want to dress differently than their assigned gender at birth. And so they want to experiment or they want to step out. But what happens when the people who've always known you as the way that they saw you growing up, maybe you were shy growing up, maybe you were one gender growing up, one sexuality growing up, and now you want something different. Maybe you, you know, like I said, I was, I was, I was very insecure growing up. Um, some people don't believe me when I say that because they're like, Oh, you were always so loud, but that's because I was, I felt like I was so trapped all the time. And when I tell people that I was just like crippled with insecurity, I was. And it wasn't until I really faced my demons, which is a large one. One of my many demons was um, what people in my hometown thought of me. And that sense of security that everybody liking you and everybody getting along with you gives you. Because it might sound really, really silly like, oh my God, Katie, there's bigger problems in the world. Some people do have to overcome demons like addiction or you know abuse, trauma. Yes, and those are all valid those are all real (laughs) but there is something so strong like that's that that um stronghold that the opinions of people in your hometown have on you that I think if we can all just kind of admit that they do affect us to the day-to-day um even if it's not people in your physical surroundings like the people you see every day um that's a huge part it's like your coworkers, who do you see every day the people you live with your family it can also be people on Facebook who you went to high school with I mean come on, admit it. Like you do care what these people think about you. You do want to have that, like you do want to work towards a goal 
this is something that a lot of clients have admitted to me in like hypnosis sessions or uh, coaching calls, and I am admitting it as myself as well. This is a huge thing I had to overcome is that people live their lives so that they could post on Instagram that they did this thing so that their hometown friends would be jealous. For example, they want to get married because they want everyone at home to feel like, okay, I'm fine. I'm being taken care of. Also, look at this ring. Aren't you jealous? Like that's just, even if you don't feel, you don't personally feel like you do that. That's how a lot of people are. And once we sort of, sort of look in the mirror and like look under that with a, a magnifying glass and get really curious on what's going on there and why are we doing this you can really like hold it look at it laugh at it dissolve it like transmute it and turn it into to a productive energy force that you can do something that you actually want to be doing with your life um I realized like for me it was my ego that wanted me to have things on certain timelines because I wanted everyone back home to not think I was a total weirdo because I felt like everyone back at home always thought I was a total weirdo. My family always worried about me and I just wanted them to get off my back and stop worrying about me and stop seeing me as like the insecure girl. (laughs) Um, And for me, one of those biggest things was I wanted my business to take off immediately because when I first started my business, a lot of people thought that I was crazy. Um, And that is so massively triggering to somebody who has been considered crazy their entire life. Like I feel like I've always been sort of offbeat. Um, I've always understood my own intuition. Uh, Growing up, I always had a sense of an intuition. As I mentioned earlier, I've always had a connection to my psychic gifts. It's just a matter of how much am I willing to be listening to other people um, and, and quieting my own inner voice. And now I'm saying nobody's getting in the way of my inner voice. I lead, I let my inner voice like lead me. I, I really let, like, I always say like, I let my belly lead me. Like what that fire in my gut instinct tells me leads me. And I know it's going to go somewhere awesome. And yeah, people still judge me, but I think that I'm kind of at a point where I really feel stabilized in that and I feel a lot safer. Um, but I can remember a few years ago when I was just constantly in fight or flight because, um, I felt very unstable because my my inner world and my outer world were just at tug of war constantly. Like I wanted to thrive. I wanted to break out of these cycles. I wanted to do new things. But what about the safety and security and snuggliness that people thinking you're normal and okay in the head gives you? Um, so I want to kind of bring up here the, the, the definition of the ego or the spiritual definition of the ego. Um, I have a degree in psychology, and so I've heard the ego, the term ego, thrown around a lot. There's a couple of different psychologists' definitions of it, um, and people use the word ego, meaning like this person is so full of themselves, they're so boisterous, they're so big, they, you know, they wear expensive clothing. For me, the definition of the ego is the part of you that wants to keep you safe. So the way that I see it is that like you know, society says that man has a big ego. He's rude and, you know, he's not polite. He drives a really loud, fast car. Um, and, you know, he just like cuts people off when he speaks. That to me is, okay, yes, he has a big ego because he feels that he needs to act this way in order to be safe. Um, he's afraid that him being his genuine, authentic self <laughs> is not enough. And so therefore he needs to act in this big boisterous way. That to me is having a big ego. 
It is another manifestation of a big ego, in my opinion, for someone who stays quiet, squashes down their good ideas, doesn't show up as they want to, doesn't dress as they want to, because the ego is trying to keep you safe. The ego also is like that that self-doubt, that self-sabotage, the parts of your brain that's like, oh my God, who do you think you are? You can't do that. And it talks very, very quickly. It's, it's, um, and it always sounds like somebody else's voice. So if you pause and say, wait, ego, hang on. I hear you. You're going a mile an hour here. That's not fast. A mile a minute here. <laughs> um, and you're trying to keep me safe. I get it. Typically, the ego asks you not to do something that you feel like your soul wants you to do. Um, it took me a while to really understand this, but now I'm like, okay, that's my ego. You can typically hear it differently. The voice sounds differently. It feels different in your body to listen to. Your ego typically is saying something along the lines of who do you think you are? You can't do that. But what if? It's always throwing out these like what if scenarios. Um, and it plays by rules that somebody else taught you. And you can, you should always ask yourself like, who taught me that rule? Who said that? What's the deal? What's going on? Um, (laughs) and it's trying to keep you safe. Um, but there's, if you listen, you can listen to your higher self, your inner muse, your inner goddess, your inner knowing, your inner wisdom. You can call it whatever you want. Um, because this is your world. Um, but typically, there is like this, des- like this desire that you have when no one is looking. You know, like the ego tells you to suck it in. The ego tells you to, you know, wear your shirt the way everyone else is wearing. The ego tells you to order a salad because everyone else is ordering a salad. But you know those desires that you have when no one else is looking. And you're like, I really want to do this. I really feel activated by the idea of starting my own makeup line. Um, starting my own, you know, um, all organic kitchen. And typically the ideas that you have from your higher self, your muse, etc., are ideas that ultimately would really do a huge service to humanity. And even if you're like, well, my own makeup line isn't, you know, starting a charity, it's not starting a nonprofit. What would it do for society if another person was making a profit, doing what they loved, and they felt lit up by, and they were just awesome at it. If another person in the world did what they were, what they felt creatively inspired to do, I think that there would be less tension in the workplace, um, because I know um, I've, I feel a lot of frustration and tension when I'm doing something that I don't want to be doing. And I have quit jobs before, actually, because I realized that I did not love what I was doing. Um, and I was just, it was just making me be kind of a bitch. Like, you know, like I'm just gonna be honest. (laughs) Um, I just wasn't happy anymore. I wasn't smiling as much. I wasn't as, um, dedicated to doing the job well. And that's when I kind of realized like, okay, I'm not lit up by what I'm doing. I, I'm going to resign because I'm just being a bitch and nobody wants to be around me. And there is, there, there is money elsewhere. Like this one job is not the place where money lives you know money is money's everywhere okay so how do you stop caring what people in your hometown think of you um this is assuming that what you want to do that you're worried about what they'll think of you is really for your highest good it's something that you really want to do you because because the fact that you care what people in your hometown think of you just you know makes me think that 
you are a good-hearted person who doesn't want to hurt anybody's feelings, who does value community um, because there are some people who kind of go off and do something and they just don't care what anybody thinks about them. And that's, that's awesome. But that was absolutely not me for the longest time. Um, the first step, and this is the hardest one, is that I would say that you should forgive yourself and, I mean, come clean, honestly. Come clean and forgive yourself about the fact that you care what people in your hometown think. And, you know, you might think, like, whatever, they're losers. You know, I don't even I don't even care. But the sooner that you can... <laughs> August is smiling at me and laughing. Okay. Anyway, um, the sooner that you can say, you know what, I, I do care... I do feel a sense of security and stability in the opinions of others because when I ask myself, what do I, what makes me feel safe? What makes me feel well-established and well-grounded and like I can do what I want to do? And the answer is people around me liking me. And you kind of have to ask yourself, like, who do I want around me liking me? Is it these people? Probably not, which is why you're here listening to this podcast right now. Um, So I think for me, the sooner that I admitted to myself that I did care and that I was just always looking for love and I, I, one of my biggest lifelong battles was being loved for who I authentically am um, and that I wasn't getting it from my hometown, but I was subconsciously trying to find it, subconsciously always asking myself, who do I need to be in order to be loved for who I am? which is kind of an oxymoron. Like, who do I need to be in order to be loved for who I am? Like, do I need to be somebody who I'm not authentically? Who Whose love am I trying to work for here? And is it somebody who's going to reciprocate it? I've had a lot of struggles with my family and with my community at large being that weird kid who always moved around and, like, kind of a rebel, kind of the black sheep of the family a little bit. Yeah, you think that's funny, August? <laughs> um. So being kind to yourself upon this realization, I know for me, once I realized this, it was like a huge breakthrough, huge dark night of the soul. I was really upset. I cried a lot because it's, I felt embarrassed. I was like, oh my God, I've been seeking these people as approval. And it's so easy to point out in somebody else who is trying to get approval from others and like who just really needs to be liked. But seeing it in yourself is a little bit harder. So the first step is I would say just honor that, accept it. And really nurture yourself. Um, One thing that I do that helps me when I don't feel like, you know, like taking care of your nervous system is essentially what I'm trying to get at. Like wear comfortable clothes, make sure that what you're, you're doing, you're actually enjoying, watch your favorite movie. Those little things really lead up to an impact because they're grounding yourself in a feeling of safety that you need. You know, it's like I think about my my son, he cries because he wants to feel safe. So what do you do to make a baby feel safe? You hold them. You, you know, give them a little pacifier because it's, you know, the sucking reflex stimulates comforting feelings. You swaddle them because then they're like nice and tight. And he is safe because I have him, but he doesn't feel safe. So he cries. So what do I do? I do all the things that I know he is comforted and I sing to him. I'll bounce him. So what are those equivalents to you? One thing I will also literally do is I will hug myself. <laughs> you can also ask for a hug from somebody else, of course, or you can wrap yourself up nice and tight in a blanket because, of course, it's like what we love, what we do. But I will literally put my hands on, around myself and put like put my my palms on my arms and I'll just squeeze tight. And that, coupled with a couple deep breaths, really just calms me down from this sense of fight or flight. Like, oh my God, ah, I'm not safe. 
Also taking a nice deep breath in. If you take an inhale in for three, hold for three, and then exhale as if you're blowing through a straw for four. That really, really helps me. For some people, it's taking walks, yoga. Um, I know that I overcame my binge eating disorder, um, which formerly was anorexia, and then it became binge eating disorder um, because I kind of like overcorrected a little bit. Um, but then I realized that what it was was this lack of sense of safety. Oh. What I do now when I feel that same urge to binge eat, I just kind of label it and tell myself I don't feel safe right now. And I go for a walk. I take baths. Oh my gosh, in 2020, I took a bath like every single day. I swear to God, I went through so many Epsom salts. You don't need Epsom salts, of course, but I drank a lot of tea because I just would catch myself feeling unsafe and like I wanted to do something kind of self-sabotaging, like eat a bunch. I used to smoke cigarettes too, um, and I don't do that anymore. Absolutely not. Um, but I caught myself in that feeling of unsafety and I just like jumped in the bath. Um, and that's something that's really, really helpful too, is if you just take some sort of action when you notice that feeling. And it can be giving yourself a little hug. It can be taking those deep breaths. And it seems a little too good to be true, a little too easy, but that really, really is really in practice. And with consistent practice, you'll notice changes. And also something that I've noticed, this is a little more time consuming, but I, if I do an hour of yoga, or well, an hour is kind of a luxury these days, but um, as much as I can, sometimes it's an hour with lots of pauses and breaks. Um, sometimes it's 20 minutes, sometimes it's 10 minutes. The other day it was literally 15 minutes and then August started crying and then I stopped for the day. Um, but I've noticed that if I keep up a consistent yoga routine, three days on, one day off, um, and I just try to be as consistent as possible, I just notice less sensations of fear and anxiety overall. And for some people that's going to the gym, for some people that's, you know, jogging, for some people, my mom is really into sewing. Give yourself that activity. I would highly recommend that it's some type of physical movement um, because you're bringing your body along with you. You're not just like trying to get out. Like you're not trying to like transcend you know, a lot of people, when they feel anxiety, they try to like escape their body. I think that's drinking. I think that's smoking. Um, anything that just makes you kind of black out and do something you regret later um, is you trying to jump out of your body. You're trying to escape, you know, being a human with needs. Um, so for me, yoga, huge one. Um, I, that's why I want to teach yoga as much as possible to as many people, because if I could just give one person a, a, a way to just be in their body, but also away from all of the anxiety that stresses them out. And if, and if their stress is entirely within their body, like you feel anxiety about your body, I'm giving them an outlet for an hour. And that's why I'm really, really passionate about teaching yoga. And I want to do it as much as possible. But of course, I'm just one person and I can't do it all the time. Um, personally, one of my dreams is to have like a YouTube channel where I teach yoga. That way I can be giving people this gift as much as possible. Um, so yeah, okay. Back to people in your hometown. I also want to stress that if you feel at the bottom of your gut, somewhere in there, that there is somebody that you should talk to, apologize to, um, you know, make amends with, confront something scary in terms of conversation. I think that you should do that. Um, sometimes I've thought like, oh, should I apologize to this person who I had an awkward like conversation with six years ago? Probably not. But if you feel like there's somebody who you may have hurt and you feel like there is a door open to speaking to them, I think that you should take that risk because it's 
confronting that fear, confronting your fear and, you know, living to tell the tale is really, really, really powerful. Um, even if it's telling someone, Hey, you hurt me and you should apologize, whatever that is, because I know that there's so many different experiences and there's so many reasons why you would want somebody's approval because they might have hurt you and you want them to like you so that they don't hurt you again or so that you feel safe. Um, you feel like you've, you know, you've out, outdone them, you've outsmarted them, you've bested them or what have you. Um, so there's so many nuanced things here, but if you feel like, oh my God, I'm not gonna, oh my God, I'm not, I'm not gonna, you know, talk to anybody from my hometown, then, then don't. But depending on your situation, if there's somebody who you, you know, your ego, your desired sense of safety is you know, ignoring and you're like, I'm not going to talk to that bitch. I hate her. Um, but you feel like I should bridge that gap. I should, I should, um, you know, I, I should really make peace then, then go for it. But if you feel like the conversation is off the table, you can still cut that cord without ever having a conversation with them. Um, what I literally do is I envision a cord between me and that person and I thank them for the lessons they taught me. I will think that thought in my heart, like, thank you for teaching me to trust myself. Thank you for teaching me that I am worthy of love without someone else. Thank you for helping me improve my focus instead of, um, you know, giving me an ex- thank you for being the example of somebody who I shouldn't listen to. And I mean, really genuinely, like, feel love in your heart for that person and feel compassion because they must be hurting too in some type of way, or they reflected something back to you that you needed to heal. And I'll just envision a cord being cut by a large pair of scissors. Um, whatever imagery resonates with you, I know that that visual really was really hard for me the first time I heard it. I just couldn't get my mind around it. Um, so I just want to give you peace knowing that if that feels a little too woo woo or esoteric or just not helpful, um, then that's okay too. But the visual helps me just the, like having that vision in my head of a cord being cut really does change the way that I feel throughout the day. Um, and it's definitely a practice because there's some people where that cord is thick, you know, that is, that is a big, big cord that you can't just cut. And then there's some other people where I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize that there was a cord between me and that person. I'm just going to cut it. Boom. The end. Um, and consistently doing so. Um, also, if you look up Honoponopono, the um, Hawaiian art of forgiveness, it means to make right twice. I also may have mispronounced that. Um, I don't think I did because I've you know looked at pronunciation before this podcast. But um, it it is to make right twice. And it's their art of forgiveness. And it's to repeat the mantra... I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. Um, I really like, <laughs> there's this one song on Spotify. I just Googled it um, and I found it on Spotify. Um, there is an artist that plays, that that made, okay, I just looked it up. It's called Modern Headspace. I found them on Spotify and they created a mantra, like a song off of the mantra, I'm sorry, please forgive me thank you. I love you. And I've played that in the background when I'm working and I'm having just a hard time. There's someone in my mind that I'm just really mad at, or I remembered something about myself that I don't really like. That's a little cringy and ugh. <laughs> just having that mantra playing in the background really gets into your subconscious and it just softens me. It makes me feel a little bit better. Um, because I know that forgiveness is a huge skill that I didn't realize I was having such a hard time with. I've grown up with a lot of victim mentality. Like I mentioned, I was bullied. 
Um, and I've spent a lot of my type, a lot of time in my life feeling like I've been wronged and I've been waiting subconsciously. Of course, I don't always realize that I was doing this, but I've been waiting for somebody to come in and give me an apology to show up out of nowhere from 10 years ago and say, Hey, I'm really sorry that I said that you looked fat, you know, and this person probably forgot that they ever said that. And I realized that I was stuck in this waiting, waiting, waiting so much. I was stuck in this, like, I'm a victim and I'm ready for the world to hand me um, the permission slip to to forgive this person. I'm waiting for this person to just hand me an apology, which is probably not going to happen. So this this idea of, of forgiving somebody you know, when they say like, oh, we forgive for ourselves, not for the other person. It took me so long to really understand that. When I heard those words, it, they just didn't resonate. It just kind of sounded like, okay, but but not me. <laughs> or that's for other people, but not me. But I didn't realize that like all these little comments and all these little fights and all these little arguments and all these little things just added up and I just started to feel such an internalized victimhood. Um, One way that I realized that I was in victimhood was that I was waiting a lot. Like I wouldn't take action on things that I wanted. I was procrastinating a lot, just in general as a person. And it was almost like I was waiting for somebody else to act first um, on apologizing so that I could finally live a fruitful life. Um, and that's probably a whole other podcast episode on how, you know, how I got over that and what specifically was I waiting for and whose apologies was I waiting for and all those kinds of things. But it really, really surprised me. Um, the last step to, you know, not caring people from your hometown think of you for me was really to focus on what I was creating and the impact that I wanted to have, um, Remind yourself every day that you're here for bigger things. Um, Even, I think this really helps, even following people who are doing what you're currently doing, who have broken free from hometown-itis, whatever you want to call it, um, and are doing what you want to be doing. And those people, you know, maybe if you're anything like me in the past, those people can be really triggering because they're that you know that this is also another um symptom of of um victimhood is if you f- see those people and get really really triggered and you feel you know you don't want to look at their content cuz it makes you feel bad you don't want to watch their the movies that they make or the you know the, for me it's really their content um you don't want to listen to their talks or their podcasts or look at their art because it you makes you feel triggered because you're stuck in this victimhood that they must not have the problems that you have so therefore they can just go out and live their dreams and create and create and create because, you know, they, they're different and you are just so much worse off. And maybe that is the truth. Maybe these people are really privileged and, you know, you just didn't get a chance to have, you know, you didn't get the, the, you didn't get the chances that they got. And I get that, (laughs) but it is through the people who went first that show us what's possible and pave the way for us that allow us to do the same. And so you really, I highly recommend that you are grateful for those people, even if you don't love everything that they do or love the way that it makes you feel. I I really strongly recommend just being grateful for them and still following their journey every anyway. You don't have to love every article of clothing they wear or everything they say, or you know, maybe you get annoyed by kind of how, how they go about things. 
But I, one thing that I really feel strongly about is that I feel so strongly that it's through other people who are doing what we want to do, but in a way differently than we would do it, that inspired me. That is like what really got me up and Adam is like seeing over and over again all the people who were doing the things that I want to do, but I felt like they were doing it wrong. I was like, oh my God, you're doing it wrong. You should create content like this. You should podcast like this. You should say things like this. And I'm like, well, I'm somebody. So, you know, thank those people for going first. And then now there's just one other person doing what you want to do, showing you that it's possible and letting the way forward. Because someday those people are going to be your peers. You know, the people who, there are, there are your peers. The people who are doing what you want to be doing are your new competition. And I don't mean that you literally should be like competitive with them and like keeping up with the Joneses. But if you're trying to step out of your hometown, you need to step into a new community if you feel very motivated by community. And there's also a time, I mean, of course, there's always a spectrum. There's never one simple answer here. There's a spectrum that of course, there's time that you need to put your blinders on, not follow other people who are doing what you're doing and just keep going. And for me, the whole point of this podcast is to kind of navigate the life and times through somebody who's moving through that. Um, I have had horrible comparisonitis, but I also need the template. So I've been stuck in that like mental struggle a lot. And I'm just here to tell you that it's okay. Use your breathing techniques. Give yourself a little hug. Uh, essential oils really, really help me. Just like grounding into the, the scent really helps me keep track of where I am. All these things really, really help. And I just want to say, again, it takes a brave, courageous, creative, amazing mind to even consider the things that I'm saying. I mean, how many people out there just can't? You know, they don't have the time, they don't have the energy, they don't have the resources. But if somebody out there says, I'm going to do this for somebody who can't, that's huge. So if you're here, if you've made it this far, I want to say I'm really, really proud of you. You will get through this. Take it day by day, hour by hour. You will see your name in lights on billboards if that's what you want. You will have the followers, the listeners, the buyers. You will have the impact. That's the biggest thing. Because if you're pursuing the vanity metrics, I can tell you from experience, from working with clients and marketing, <laughs> as well as you know pursuing that myself, you will feel so unfulfilled if you're just pursuing the numbers. And you'll look at yourself in the mirror one day and be like, who are you? I don't know what's going on. But if you pursue the impact that makes you, that lights you up to create, while getting yourself out of any, you know, spiritual, emotional pit that you may find yourself in, because it happens to all of us. We all were born with our unique set of challenges that we have to work to get ourselves out of. If you work to get yourself out of that, you will feel more energy and you'll want to create something from that energy. Once we heal, we can create. And that is something that I feel very, very strongly about. That is all that I have for today. I hope this helped. I hope that you get out there and just be your own muse and stop looking over your shoulder at what Billy, Bob, and Susie are doing from from high school. And, you know, they're on their own path and they have their own demons and they have their own story and they have their own privileges and it's going to be okay. That's all I have for you. I love you so much. If you ever want some tools and tips on how to on how to, you know, start living your own creative life and start healing some of your own BS that you have going on. Um, I have a freebie library. I'll drop the link in the show notes. It's completely free. There's a lot of fun stuff in there, such as affirmations, 
Um, there's a creativity ritual that I have on what to do to set yourself up for a aligned creative workflow. So if you know that you need to sit down and work, but you feel too distracted or you, you know, you don't feel connected to your muse. Um, there's that in there. There's a free yoga class in there. I think there's two, uh, it's just fun. It's fun. And I'll put the link in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here. I love you all very much. Every listen, every comment, every review just really lights me up. Um, and I'm looking forward to hearing your feedback on this one. All right, guys. Bye-bye.